It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, September 25th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. The California Report has big news from the Hollywood writers' strike. Hear the latest developments from negotiations between writers and studios up ahead. Then, in the aftermath of the fires that ravaged Maui, the struggle to protect Native Hawaiians' land continues. More on this story from National Native News. We have your local news, which includes an announcement from Rise Gold Corporation, the company behind the attempt to reopen the former Idaho-Maryland gold mine in Grass Valley. And KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza finds out more about new amendments that would make it easier for property owners to build ADUs in Nevada County. This is the California Report. I'm Evie Bolaños in San Francisco. And here are some California stories we're following. Governor Gavin Newsom vetoed three controversial bills Friday evening. One of them would have blocked testing and operation of driverless trucks in California. Newsom called it unnecessary, saying that the DMV already has adequate oversight of the driverless vehicle industry. He also rejected a bill that would have blocked state corrections officials from coordinating with with federal immigration authorities before a non-citizen was released from prison in certain cases. Laura Hernandez is the executive director of the nonprofit Freedom for Immigrants. She says Newsom's political ambitions might have to do with his veto of the bill. When policymaking is driven by like ambition um, rather than sound judgment, it's always a law for the community. The third bill Newsom vetoed would require courts to consider whether a parent affirms a child's gender identity in visitation and custody hearings. In labor news, thousands of Kaiser Permanente employees in California told executives they will go on strike in early October. That's if a contract deal is not reached by the end of this month, according to the unions that represent them. The last scheduled bargaining session ended Friday in San Francisco. The healthcare workers are pushing for higher wages and solutions to what they call an understaffing crisis that is hurting patients. And President Joe Biden is set to visit California this week. He'll participate in two campaign receptions ahead of next year's presidential election. The president will also meet with the president's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology on Wednesday, a group composed of the nation's leading engineers and scientists. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Hint, fruit-infused water with no sugar or diet sweeteners with more than 25 flavors including watermelon and pineapple in stores or delivered from hintwater.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, advancing the frontiers of ocean science, exploration, and discovery on the web at schmidtocean.org. After nearly five months off the job, Hollywood writers have reached a tentative deal with studios. The agreement still needs approval from the 11,000 or so members of the Writers Guild of America. But for more, we're joined by Variety senior TV reporter Joe Otterson. So we don't know the exact details, but what can you tell us about what's in this deal for writers? 
from what we've heard, the writers got a great amount of what they were asking for. In fact, more than people expected them to get. So we know they made progress on streaming residuals. We know they made progress on the size and pay for what they call uh, mini rooms. Uh, there's also been um, a lot of, we have told there was some work around the language regarding AI and just kind of generative content like that. But so from what we've heard, the writers made a great deal of progress on the, on this deal. And you know, it took a long time to get here. What led the two sides to finally come together over the last week to hammer out an agreement? I think really it was just everybody was ready to get back to work. I don't think anybody expected this to drag out this long, but I mean, the WGA and their members were incredibly disciplined in their in their solidarity, and they were just able to, to really wait this out. But I mean, at the end of the day, the writers want to get back to writing, the studios want to get back to creating shows and films. So it was just finally a point of, I think everyone just reached that breaking point of, we have to sort this out because no one wants this to drag out till the end of the year. So what's next for the WGA? Is there a timeline on how soon this agreement might be ratified? So the WGA leadership will have to have a look at the deal and approve it. They will then send it out to their membership for a vote. That will probably take a couple of weeks all in to get all of that done. But the WGA leadership is expected to meet on Tuesday, at which point they will more than likely approve the deal. Um, so in terms of getting everyone back to work, it will probably be a couple of weeks at least, bearing in mind that the the writers have, we understand, been asking the studios that they be allowed to honor any um, SAG picket lines because the Actors Guild remains on strike and SAG and the WGA have been pretty much in lockstep throughout this whole process. Right. Do you think there will be a sense of urgency from studios to restart those SAG after negotiations now that this one has completed? Absolutely. Yeah, we, we really expect that to be the case. And now that the WGA has gotten this deal, the idea we believe is that they're going to basically take the WGA deal, kind of present that to SAG and say, how does this look to you? Um, obviously, there will be some things that need to be tweaked and changed in that because the actors and the writers deals are a little bit different. But we think that this is going to provide a great framework for SAG to get back to work in the not too distant future as well. And looking at the bigger picture, can you explain how big of an impact this all had on the entertainment industry? Tremendous. I mean, this was almost the longest strike in Hollywood's history. I mean, technically, you know, because if they made it to the beginning of October, it would have been the longest strike in uh, in Hollywood's history. So the the impact is is really not incalculable, but certainly astronomical. I mean, just so many productions have been shut down. People have been out of work. And this isn't just writers and actors and, and studio executives. I mean, you're talking about craftspeople, people who do hair and makeup, people who do sound and lighting. All of these people have been sitting around waiting for the chance to get back out there. Um, so it's it's been a tremendous impact in that sense. And it's also a tremendous impact in terms of film scheduling, television scheduling. You know, the broadcast fall season is basically shot at this point. It's basically done, I should say, at this point, not shot. They haven't shot anything. Right. And then, um, you know, the fall film release schedule has been heavily impacted by this, which, of course, plays into awards season. So it's been a tremendous, tremendous impact. So hopefully some sense of normalcy will start to return here in the next few weeks. Joe, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That was Variety Senior TV reporter Joe Otterson. And that's the California Report for Monday, September 25th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day.
As individuals rebuild or decide to move on after the devastating wildfires on Maui, there's growing anxiety over whether outside investors will use this as an opportunity for a land grab. On today's National Native News, reporter Matt Laszlo speaks with Hawaii's two senators, getting their input on how to prevent predatory actions from impacting Native Hawaiians. This is National Native News. I'm Jill Freitas from KMBA in Anchorage, Alaska, filling in for Antonia Gonzalez. In the aftermath of the fires that ravaged Maui, the struggle to protect the Native Hawaiians' land continues. Matt Laszlo reports from Washington. Here in the nation's capital, when people hear Maui, they think resorts, not Native Hawaiians. So they are among the very important voices. That's Hawaii Democratic Senator Maisie Hirono. Even before the tragic inferno, many Native Hawaiians were vocal critics of where their water was being diverted to. Tourism, sugar plantations, and there was also a housing state of emergency put in place by Hawaii Democratic Governor Josh Green, which he declared ahead of the fire, one that upended traditional reviews focused on the cultural and environmental impacts of development. Issues Senator Hirono knows all too well. I think that is a big challenge, but nonetheless, yeah. the sentiment is definitely be there. They don't want developers swooping in and uh, getting, getting hold of the property and doing whatever it is they're going to do. There are also issues such as water, it's yep. a limiting factor in terms of developing that area. As the rebuilding of lives, homes, and land continues, Hawaii Democratic Senator Brian Schatz cautions patience. I think we have to take a deep breath and allow FEMA and the EPA to clean up the site. And then we need to let, in, let individual landowners have access to their own properties so they can get closure and collect whatever personal effects might still be there. Yeah. And then individual property owners are going to make individual decisions. Schatz says public officials have no say in some of these deeply personal matters. For some, they want to rebuild, and for others, they want to rebuild their lives somewhere else. And I, I'm not here to judge any individual family for what they may want to do. As for Senator Hirono, she promises there's not going to be a free-for-all land grab in Lahaina. Well, I do not have the answers, but what I do know is that there should, should, there should not be a rush to... Uh, figuring out what Lahaina is going to look like. For National Native News, I'm Matt Laszlo in Washington. A celebration of Indigenous music and culture took place in Juneau, Alaska recently, packed with three days of music and 25 different acts. As KMBA's Rhonda McBride reports, organizers say it's the only global Indigenous music festival in the United States. It all takes place in Juneau, in Tlingit Ani, the Tlingit homeland. This is the second Ock Rock Music Festival, now held every two years. This year, it features 35 cultures from around the world. Some of the headliners are well-known. Native American groups like Snotty Nose Rez Kids and Samantha Crane, a Choctaw indie pop singer. Stephen Kachung Blanchett, the creative director for the festival, says Auk Rock has performances on multiple stages as well as jam sessions. We're not going to have seats like the traditional seats. We're going to have places where people can just chill out. You might be able to, you know, hang out on a piece of like sea otter fur and just kind of lay out and relax or maybe even smudge with some sage. Come on I'm imagining some organic, just amazing magic being made. Oh, 
Hawk Rock is co-sponsored by Clinkett and Haida Tribes and the Juneau Arts and Humanities Council. With help from KTOO's Boston Christopher in Juneau, I'm Rhonda McBride. I'm Joel Freitas. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Support by Vision Maker Media, envisioning a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. 45 plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now let's take a look at your local news. In a statement published on JuniorMiningNetwork.com, Rise Gold Corporation, the company behind the attempted reopening of the former Idaho-Maryland gold mine in Grass Valley, has announced a new president and CEO. Joseph Mullen takes the mantle from Ben Mossman. Mossman will continue to serve as director in addition to advising on certain projects. The announcement of Mullen's new positions comes the day before Mossman is due to be sentenced in Prince Rupert Law's court in British Columbia. Mossman was found guilty of 13 environmental crimes for his part in a failed gold mine on an island off the coast of British Columbia that turned into a toxic site due to mine waste leaks. According to today's statement, Rise Gold's new president and CEO has worked for over two decades in corporate finance, private equity, and early-stage mineral exploration. The statement continues, quote, Mr. Mullen's considerable experience with financial markets will guide the company to achieve its objectives as it nears the conclusion of the vested right hearing on October 27th and moves into a new phase of permitting, exploration, and project development. The vested right hearing refers to a petition Rise Gold submitted to the Nevada County Board of Supervisors for the vested right to mine on the former Idaho-Maryland site. A, quote, vested right to mine refers to a mine operated before 1976, which has continued to operate until present time. 1976 is the year California's mining law, the Surface Mining and Reclamation Act, became effective. Any vested mine does not need to apply for a mining permit to the county, and no California Environmental Quality Act document for the mining operation itself is required. Other exemptions such as grading permits for roads, landing pads, staging areas, culverts and diversion ponds are also exempt from oversight. The vested right to mine hearing is set for Friday, October 27th at 9 a.m. in the Board of Chambers in Nevada City's Rood Center. Sierra College, the public community college based in Rockland with several other campuses, has announced they're currently accepting applications to serve as an appointed member of the Board of Trustees until the next regularly scheduled election for governing board members in November 2024. 
each applicant must reside in Trustee Area 6 of the Sierra Joint Community College District, which includes the west border of the district shared by Nevada and Placer counties. Each applicant must also be at least 18 years of age, a registered voter, and a U.S. citizen. More information and application materials are available on the Sierra College website or by calling 916-660-7000. Now let's take a look at your local forecast from the National Weather Service. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight increasing clouds with a low around 50 degrees, a 20% chance of showers after 11 p.m., if we do see rain, new precipitation amounts would be less than a tenth of an inch. Tuesday, mostly cloudy through mid-morning, then gradual clearing with a high near 72. Tuesday night will be mostly clear, with a low around 50 degrees. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight partly cloudy with a low around 37 degrees. It'll be windy with gusts as high as 25 miles per hour. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 63. Tuesday night will be mostly clear with a low around 35 degrees. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, increasing clouds with a low around 61 degrees. Tuesday, mostly cloudy through mid-morning, then gradually becoming clear with a high near 80. Tuesday night is clear with a low around 57 degrees. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Earlier this month, Nevada County Board of Supervisors adopted amendments to the county's land use development codes that would make it easier for property owners to build accessory dwelling units or ADUs on their property. Up ahead, KVMR News Director Claudio Mendonza talks to Nevada County Senior Planner Kyle Smith to learn more. Earlier this month, the Nevada County Board of Supervisors unanimously voted to adopt the 2023 Housing Ordinance Amendments. Amendments recommended by the Planning Commission to Nevada County's Land Use Development Codes that are intended to align county law with current state law. The board voted to adopt a number of changes to our uh, zoning ordinance to reduce barriers to housing development, to essentially make it easier to uh, build housing in Nevada County. And many of those changes uh, do relate to ADUs or accessory dwelling units. That's Kyle Smith. He's a senior planner for Nevada County. An ADU, often called an in-law unit in the past, is any secondary living space on a property. And now, they can be rather large. So we do have some size restrictions for ADUs. Um, ADUs that are detached from the main house, meaning it's its own separate structure, are allowed to be up to 1,200 square feet. And then ADUs that are attached to the main house, um, those are allowed to be uh, either up to 800 square feet or 50% of the main residence if the main residence is, is smaller than 1,600 square feet. There's now also language allowing for smaller ADUs, junior accessory dwelling units, JADUs. These units are defined as being less than 500 square feet in size. And they also have to be located within the four walls or within the walls of a residence. So this could be 
like a uh, master suite that is converted to a studio, you know, studio apartment or a garage that has been converted to a studio apartment or something like that. In the past, one big hurdle to building an ADU has been related to wastewater. The recently adopted amendments address that. ADUs will have to have adequate septic capacity. Um, Some of the changes that were adopted by the board allow for people to meet that requirement a couple of different ways. The septic system has to have the capacity to support all of the new load from the ADU, whether that be a one-bedroom, two-bedroom, etc. It has to be sized appropriately, but the ADU can use the existing system from the residents. So the, either the tank and the leach lines, either any part of the system, as long as that system has adequate capacity to support the ADU. The point to all of the changes is to make it easier for people to create more housing. Where the rubber meets the road is we're going to be um, allowing ADUs to be kind of sized and shaped differently than they had been before. So You could have larger garages, larger patios, um, and then utilizing all of the the septic system from the house um, so that, you know, hopefully people can build the housing that they want to build um, and do that in a a way that is both uh, kind of affordable and streamlined as well. That being said, Kyle told me that while these changes are helpful, The lack of housing in Nevada County is a complex problem. Housing shortage is a large multifaceted issue that wouldn't be addressed by just one thing. Um, But I do think that these changes were undertaken to help alleviate uh, those issues on a local level. This is not a kind of silver bullet solution. This is a piece of a multifaceted puzzle that we're all sort of working together to, to make housing easier to develop and then by extension, uh, more affordable, and, well, just more of it. For KVMR, I'm Claudio Mendoza. That's our newscast for Monday, September 25th. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and the law offices of Christopher Dort, handling insurance disputes and insurance litigation in state and federal courts for more than 20 years with offices located in Nevada County. Information is available at dortlaw.com. And Pioneer Community Energy, reminding listeners that locally owned, not-for-profit Pioneer brings a choice in electricity providers to Grass Valley and Nevada City in January 2024. More info at pioneercommunityenergy.org expansion. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendonca. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Tuesday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.